Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cracking Fitness. On today's episode, we have Dr. Nick. This was such a fun conversation. I'm not going to give him a huge intro here because he gets into his past and his present in the podcast, but I had such a fun time talking with him. We touch on many different subjects. Uh, I feel like the meat of the conversation had a lot to do with mentality and intermittent fasting. Uh, I'll be honest, I got a little bit inspired to start intermittent fasting, so the next day, as soon as we had talked, um, I gave myself a window, and I I went into it, and uh, I feel really good today. Um, I've done intermittent fasting in the past, but um, I've always had that little thought in my mind of, I need to eat food around my workout, and talking with Dr. Nick um, maybe got me a little bit past that, and so uh, I'm going to give intermittent fasting another go. You should go check him out. Check him out on Instagram. Also, go check out his SteadyMD page. Uh, he's a physician for for SteadyMD. It's a really cool company. Um, go check him out. And also, you can just listen to the podcast and get a little bit more. But if you guys like today's episode, please hop over to iTunes, give it a really good review, and have a great day. Bringing health, wellness, and fitness ideas right to your speakers with your host, Tyler Martin, learning from experts and average Joes alike. This is the Cracking Fitness Podcast. All right, Dr. Nick, uh, I, I really appreciate coming on the podcast and, and chatting. Yeah, hey, I appreciate uh, the invite and, and uh, you know, I've definitely been looking to our conversation. I've been cool. looking forward to our conversation. <laughs> That's perfect. So I've been following you for a little while on social media. And one, uh, I think what first kind of drew me to you is just your, your tagline, the fittest doc, which I know we just chatted a little bit about. And second, you're just freaking jacked, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the, uh, you know, the tagline, um, you know, the fittest doc, I think it's funny because, uh, uh, you know, there have been some people who have reached out to me and, you know, I think it, it just kind of is very illustrative of how people's uh, perceptions are colored by their experiences. But some people are reach out to me and they're like, oh, that's a, you know, that's a cocky username. And I'm like, um, what? And then I sit back and I'm like trying to think, wait, why would they say that? Uh, and, and it makes me wonder because <clears throat> when I thought of it, when I kind of uh, was like, oh, I want to change my, my name to this, uh, it was because I feel that every human being, whether you're a doctor, a firefighter, a, a paramedic, a nurse, you should always be um, seeking the best version of yourself. You should always be aspiring for better. You know, there is, at, at least in my opinion, there's no such thing as constant. There's no such thing as, oh, you know, I went to bed last night and I woke up and I'm the exact same. No, in reality, depending on the work ethic that you have, you know, in the gym, you know, at work, at school, you're either a little bit better or a little bit worse. There's no such thing as constant. So in my mind, you know, the fittest doc is just me aspiring to be the fittest doctor that I can be. Um, and, you know, if, if somebody else wants to, if other people want to interpret it in, in another way, in my mind, I'm like, look, if we're talking about the fittest doc, objectively, Julie Fouché has that title. And I don't think anyone can take it away from her. So, yeah. yeah. No, I like that. Uh, I mean, you could just... You could say the fittest Nick, but you're a doctor. So therefore, yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. And, and I get it. And I like that. So just uh, tell us, tell us all about yourself. Okay. So, um, yeah, so my name's, you know, Nick, uh, some people call me Nicholas, other people call me Chi Chi. Um, 
I'm a physician. Sorry, I'm a physician here in uh, in Illinois. I'm moving soon, um, and uh, will be. Uh, I'll actually have two jobs in a couple months here, um, where I'll be a physician, um, kind of centered in in uh, Denver, Colorado. I will also be able to see patients all around the United States uh, as a physician for SteadyMD.com. Um, so you know that is. Some people have heard of this, others haven't, but it's a segment that's it's called telemedicine. Um, so it essentially uh, uh, essentially facilitates a, a doctor seeing patients for very specific complaints that are um, uh, optimally, not optimally, but, but can be seen through kind of this medium, right? Through either a phone call or a text or, um, or, or kind of a video chat. So yeah, there it's it's very specific complaints, but you know the 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 fact of the matter is that um, it's uh, it's taking off. There are a lot of patients who prefer to see their to see their doctors with with telemedicine. So I'm really excited to be working with SteadyMD. Plus, given the type of physician that I am, who, who is one who kind of likes to make impactful changes on my patients' lives, SteadyMD facilitates that. You know, our appointments can be up to an hour long with a patient on SETI and B. So as opposed to rushing them into and out of the out of the you know patient room and kind of glossing over and finding out what the true issue is that could potentially prevent you from having to prescribe medications and fixing the, the fundamental issue at hand. Um, uh, you know, this this kind of facilitates a, a longer conversation. So I enjoy it. Um, kind of going back, so I went, uh, you know, I, I, if you want to know, just kind of, so I was raised in Lansing, Michigan. Um, I went to high school, Everett High School. Uh, my kind of athletic background at, at Everett was, you know, I did Taekwondo, got my black belt all through high school, did four years of martial arts, graduated, uh, started attending Michigan State University uh, with a pursuit of a uh, in, in mechanical engineering. So finish, finish that, uh, finish the mechanical engineering stuff, graduated and turned around and, you know, decided not decided, but essentially went to med school. I had always wanted to, to go to med school and thankfully, you know, you can go to medical school being a art history major. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So during my time in, uh, in engineering, I kind of started, you know, doing some other martial arts and, uh, tapered the Taekwondo, um, ju Judo, Jiu Jitsu, uh, and then uh, started doing Krav Maga when I was in medical school. And Krav Maga is actually how I got into CrossFit. So I started at this gym in Ohio called uh, Ohio Krav Maga and Fitness. And, uh, you know, every as kind of my one hour break from med school, you know, just kicking my, my butt every day, I was, uh, I would, I would go there and I would train and I love Krav. Um, and you know, it was, it's, to be honest, at this point, it's my favorite martial art and definitely the one that I want to get back into. But, um, every day at the end of Krav, there was, you know, there were some guys at the end of the gym who would see me and, you know, whatever, I guess they assumed, you know, you know, look at this guy, he would be great at CrossFit. So they kept trying to like, like almost bully me into CrossFit. Like, Hey man, what are you doing? Come over here. And, uh, 
I laughed at them every time. And I was like, you're insane. I see you guys, you know, three, two, one, go. The workout starts 10, 15 minutes later, every single one of you is on the ground, <laughs> gasping for air, dying. Like, why would I want to do that to myself? And, uh, you know, so kept training in Krav, never did CrossFit. Month, two, two months, three months go by and they get me to try CrossFit once. And at this point, I mean, I assume like most people who have done martial arts for a while, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm fit. Like this, this isn't going to crush me. Destroyed me. <laughs> Ended up on the ground, staring at the ceiling, questioning my life, questioning my choices, everything. So <laughs> you know, at that point I was like, okay, all right, well, you know, this, this tells me a lot. Like, you know, I, I obviously enjoy doing this, even though it hurts so much, but it, it's, it's almost like it hurts so good. Um, but I also enjoy Krav Maga, but the, the limiter there, the, the main constraint was med school, right? I'm not going to take two hours out of my day every day to work out. I'm not going to do that. You know, med school is a lot of, you know, every med student can, can agree with this, but I mean, it's a lot of 14, 16 hour days of just studying like back to back, um, you know, hoping and praying that, that you can survive and you can make it through. So uh, at that point, I just, I picked one and I was like, okay, well, you know, the benefit of CrossFit is that as opposed to Krav Maga, just helping me with my fighting ability and maybe endurance, CrossFit will help me from kind of the 10 pillars of fitness, right? From strength, endurance, to stamina, to, to, to flex or mobility, um, to, to every other element. So in my mind, I was like, okay, you know, you got to pick one, pick CrossFit, finish med school, finish residency. When you're done with that, you can get back into Krav Maga. You can get back into martial arts. So um, yeah, that's kind of my athletic background. I skipped over a whole bunch of years when I was younger, when I played soccer. You know, I, I say often that soccer is, is my first love and it, it truly is. I, I love that game. I'm, even the way I'm, I'm built, I'm built like a sprinter. I'm not, I'm not even now how many years into CrossFit, I hate long distance running. Hey, you know, Nick, go run two, three miles. When that comes up in CrossFit, I'm like, oh, I hate this. I, <laughs> why, why did I choose to come today? Um, but I love sprinting. You know, you know, you put me on a track and 200 meter sprint, 400 meter sprint. I'm all about that, and that that I think comes from the soccer background and and the uh, I I played offense um, in soccer, so that was definitely my first love. So, yeah, um, I think I just about covered it unless you want to know anything else no i like that that's that's awesome um so huge athletic background uh which is important because that you know kind of brings you to where you are today and you say sprinter one of the things that pops into my head is and i'm not an expert on different types of muscle but you know fast twitch it's probably why you snatch like an animal and you know can clean and jerk and, and those strength workouts are a little more exciting than the long distance stuff sure sure yeah <clears throat> I love, I love, uh, I love power, power. Well, I was going to say powerlifting, but as you probably know, powerlifting is technically squat, deadlift, bench. Um, yeah. but I love the power aspect of Olympic weightlifting, right? Um, yeah. so actually, uh, that brings up a good point. I forgot to say that, you know, even before, uh, I went to medical school, um, I was just kind of doing kind of, you know, uh, lifting in the gym, like, you know, most guys do kind of 24 hour fitness. Uh, uh, I don't know, just regular global gyms, right. Um, kind of lifting like a bodybuilder. I was, 
I was uh, subscribed to all these magazines like Men's Health and Muscle and Fitness and just these stupid magazines that at this point, I'm like, why did I ever listen to any of that? Um, but uh, there was, I, I did that so long in, in just a regular kind of 24 hour gym that I got bored of it. Um, and like I said, this was before medical school. And that time period when I was kind of going through that boredom coincided with the Olympics on television. And I saw these people on TV doing, you know, snatching like weight that I was only dreaming about bench pressing, right? Where a bench press is how many inches, right? Maximum, let's say foot, foot and a half, moving 225 pounds. People on TV were snatching 300 pounds, moving it from the ground to eight feet over their head in literally a second and a half. Yeah. And I was like, this is incredible. Why the hell am I at the gym doing bicep curls and bench press when there are people who are, can do things like this, you know? So I essentially, at that point, you know, given that it coincided with this period of boredom that I had with, with just regular lifting, I was like, eh, I'm going to teach myself this. So I kicked up YouTube and, you know, just watched people do a whole bunch of clean and jerks. And I literally taught myself how to clean a jerk. And, you know, it, Tyler, it was hideous. Like I, I actually have a video. I'm probably going to post it on my Instagram soon of me clean and jerking like 75 pounds back in the day. And just the technique was ugly. And you could tell that it was like a max, it was a max effort, but you could tell it was difficult for me. Right. Yeah. And, you know, this was me teaching myself how to clean and jerk. And I didn't even bother with a snatch. Like I saw that and I was like, that looks terrifying. Like, <laughs> I would die. I'm not doing that. Um, so yeah, you know, to go from, to go from that and to, to have videos of my ugly technique back then and just struggling with such little weight to, you know, I don't know, hang cleaning 325 for two that I, that I did the other day. Like to me, the, the difference there, especially given that we're all getting older, right? Like, it's not yeah. like, not like I'm getting younger, but to, to, to have that progress in my mind I'm like this is why I love Olympic weightlifting and this is why I love CrossFit so you know I'm definitely a huge fan of the the uh observable measurable repeatable aspect of of CrossFit and I think that you know the things that if you're if you're open-minded and you're receptive and you're the type of person who always wants to learn the things that CrossFit can teach you about life, about literally everything in life, you can't, you can't put a number on it. You, you can't limit it and say, Oh, you know, you can only learn this much stuff because you know, the, the fact that the fact that you can, you can observe things in CrossFit, you can measure them and kind of be diligent and write it down. And then you can seek to either repeat that performance or beat that performance. Like that applies to everything in life. And, and I really think that it's something that if more people realize they can benefit themselves every in every other aspect of their lives. I agree. Something that I say all the time is just, and this is not my quote, is from a guy named T. Harvecker. Um, how you do anything is how you do everything. I love that. I say it all the time to people. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, yeah. if you can go into the gym every day and you can work hard, then that transfers to other areas of your life. That tenacity, right? And I know you've heard of this, Tyler. I think, you know, the, the biggest adaptation that happens to, to CrossFitters happens between the ears, you know? I mean, how many times mid-workout do you feel like death? You're like, this workout 
sucks. Like this is the absolute worst. Why am I here? Why did I choose this? You know? Uh, and uh, then you, you have those thoughts, you have those negative thoughts in your mind, but then five, 10, 15 minutes later, you're done. You finish it. You essentially conquered something that you thought you couldn't do. And hell, the next time that you have that challenge, then the next workout that you do that is that difficult, your mind, your, your mindset, you're a little bit stronger. You're a little bit more capable of approaching this saying, uh, I've been in this position before. You know, I felt this despondent. I have felt this defeated and I've made it through. I can make it through now. So yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. How you do anything is how you do everything. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, you'll say, I don't know if you, if you say that to other people, but there's some people you say that to and they don't understand. They're like, what do you, what does that even mean? And I'm like, what do you mean? What is it? It's the most beautiful quote ever. What are yes. you talking about? So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I see it in my own life. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll do something mediocre and then I'll, or, or I'll just do it, you know, half-assed and then I'll see something else and I go, oh, well, I just did that one halfway too all right, well, I've got to work in this area. And then all of a sudden different areas get better. And it's just, man, that self working on yourself. That's important. Sure. And I'm sure as a coach, you know, as an owner of a gym and a coach, I feel like it's even more applicable to you because if you have that mindset, then every athlete that you're coaching benefits from that mindset that you have, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's not, a good way of looking you're, not to, you're not willing to let things slide and you're not, you, you know, you want, you want better for your athletes than they may even want for themselves. So, yeah, I love that you have that mindset. And, um, do you feel like that's something that you have gained over time or is that kind of something you were born with? What are we just that, that, that mindset of how you do anything is how you do everything. And, and knowing that by working in one area of your life, you're, you're really working on all areas of your life. No, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Um, so kind of growing up, you know, my dad was always, uh, um, very, uh, motivational and very encouraging of kind of, kind of putting your head down and working and, and doing well in school. Um, so I think that, uh, really kind of that, the, the start of that mindset was, from him and kind of encouraging, encouraging me to, to push hard and then um, essentially seeing the results, right? So, you know, whenever somebody wants you to do anything or, or they're trying to convince you of, of anything, you know, you really, you don't just need that. You, you also need to be able to, you know, actually apply what they're recommending. And then if you see the results from that, then it's like, it's a, it's a roll, it's a ball rolling downhill, you know, you just get more and more momentum. So essentially, I think that, you know, uh, kind of growing up, it wasn't like I was, you know, super confident or, or had my mindset in, in check. But as I became older, um, kind of did really well in, in high school, um, well enough that the College of Engineering accepted me. And then to me at that point, you know, I was still, yeah, I had a little bit more of a developed mindset than I did uh, when I was let's say in middle school, but at this point, you know, I'm graduating high school. I'm like, you know, wow, this is the, I'm about to go through the college of engineering. And, you know, my, my singular goal is to get through this, you know, get good enough grades that I can go to medical school. Um, uh, but, but I don't know if I can do that. Cause you know, I think everybody, including myself, you know, kind of felt like 
engineering was this uh was this challenge that they couldn't possibly overcome so i think you know that when i did overcome that and i graduated uh the college of engineering at michigan state with a really high gpa you know much higher than high enough that i got you know a uh, a lot of uh, invitations for uh for interviews at at you know many different medical schools and i think that was definitely something that bolstered my confidence bolstered my uh, my belief system. So as opposed to kind of having, you know, I say this often, I think a lot of people have a lot of uh, self-limiting beliefs, right? So, um, and, and it's unfortunate because you can't, you can't, there's absolutely nothing that you can achieve if you do not believe you can achieve it. So, so that's the first step, right? You have to first have some inkling in your brain like yeah you know i can do this it may require hard work but i can do this uh and so in my mind kind of growing up to to have my self-limiting beliefs specifically about education and school um knocked down one by one from you know from doing well in high school then doing well in the college of engineering and then you know getting so many interviews for med school and then going to med school and finishing that and then you know, so that's all academic, right? But then, yeah, CrossFit had a huge, huge beneficial aspect, um, or uh, um, in in that in that scenario, right? Where essentially, as we were speaking about earlier, like, listen, like nobody, I don't care what your athletic background is, nobody comes into CrossFit and doesn't get their butt kicked. And and if you and if you do if you do come in across it and you're like this is easy you didn't push hard enough you did yeah, not exactly you, did not, you, you essentially held yourself back which is fine if that's how you want to go through your life but you know you held yourself back so in my mind you know uh to to start crossfit in 2011 and and to essentially have it through so many workouts over the years kick my butt kick my butt kick my butt and me you know uh finish a workout, finish a workout and, and slowly get better and better. I still remember the day. So it was at, uh, in this gym in Ohio called project lift when I snatched, like, you know how, like for everybody snatching your body weight is a yeah. huge. So I remember like that day or kind of that week or whatever, I weighed about 205 pounds and I snatched, I put 205 pounds over my head and I ran like a crazy, just yelling, like, like a hysterical idiot yelling or like running around the gym yelling. Cause I mean, that was a huge number for me. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was a barrier. You could, you could, you know, well enough say that that was a mental barrier. That was something that in my head, I was like, you know, this is the most complicated intricate movement in all of CrossFit. I am never going to be able to move my body weight above my head. And then boom, I do that. And then, you know, that changes, that changes your brain a little bit, just, just a little bit that along with conquering workouts that you thought you, you couldn't do and that would kick your butt and you come out and you're a little bit stronger because of it, you know, and then hitting other milestones. I, you know, the day I hit my uh, 225 pound snatch, like that's another huge thing for people, you know? So I think that, yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to mindset, mindset is huge. It's something that a lot of people undervalue. Um, you know, I watch a lot of, you're probably aware of him, uh, Gary V. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I listen to a lot of Gary V. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, just other people who are, who are very 
positive and who don't let negativity, you know, seep into their lives. And, and I think that that's instrumental. You have to be able to surround yourself, whether that's in a, you know, intimate kind of close fashion in terms of who you live with, uh, or whether it's kind of the, the media that you consume, whether television or internet, you cannot, negativity is something that you have to be able to effectively um, combat if you want to slowly but surely improve yourself 1% every day. And, uh, you know, I think that it's something that a lot of people, if you sit down and have a heart-to-heart conversation with them about whether it's the gym or their health or their looks or, you know, their aspirations, a lot of people, you know, have negative thoughts about themselves. And, you know, it, it that plays, that does not play to their benefit at all. So, you know, as a physician, uh, <clears throat> I find myself... Uh, in clinic talking to patients and just trying to help them overcome i know i'm not a i'm not you know i'm not in the psych field but i will absolutely try and help my patients overcome the negativity that they have in in their head because i don't think that they realize how cohesive the tie-in of their mental health is with their physical health yeah you know i find that the more that i can convey that that is a fact that that is a certainty that everything in the body is, is linked um, and that they can't, you know, let one area uh, fail and they can't, you know, refuse to, to um, confront their, their mental health. Uh, I, the, the more I'm able to convince people of that, the, the, I think the, the more that they're able to, to benefit, you know, with their overall health, um, you know, unfortunately in, in this country, from what I've seen, since medical school, since residency, since practices, you know, there is a lot of, um, there is a stigma against mental health, yeah. which, which I have absolutely never understood because, you know, if, <clears throat> if you pull a muscle, you're able to say, okay, you know, this muscle is pulled. This is an issue. I, I need to address it, you know, in, in whatever fashion is most applicable. Uh, and in my mind, that muscle is part of you. So how come you're able to, how come, you know, so many people are able to say, okay, I need to address this. But then, you know, when they have an issue with their mind, whether it's the way that they think or the way that they respond to negativity or the way that they respond to bad things happening in their lives or the way that, the way that they address others, people aren't as willing to say, uh, I have a problem here. You know, I should address this. It's almost like, you know, the, the ability to improve oneself and the, the benefit of improving oneself is lost on individuals when it comes to their mental health, which I, I just don't, I've tried to understand people's resistance towards that, um, given all the self-help stuff that, you know, I endeavor to, to learn from and, and benefit from and change my mindset and 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 kind of change my life with and you know it's it's difficult it's difficult to try and you know i try and empathize but you know i will be very forward in admitting to you that that's one thing that i struggle with i I don't understand why people cannot work in their best interest when it comes to their mental health why why are you much more willing to endure sickness 
in any part of your body, your brain included, rather than address it, you know, so. Absolutely. I, I agree. And I, I don't want to say that I understand mental health at all either, but, you know, I do see it a lot on the ambulance. Um, and it's interesting because people, th there is a link, and I don't know what the link is between mental health and physical health. Sure. And I guess taking that a back a little bit when you said that you had snatched 205 the first thing that popped into my head was what if you had done what most people do and that's probably like nah, okay I, I guess I, this is kind of a fluke or no it's not that good no you were excited about yourself that's right. good there's a huge difference between being cocky and being confident and hey I snatched 205 I rock doesn't mean that I'm saying I'm better than other people it just means, hey, I snatched 205 and I rock, and that's okay to do. That's great. Sure. Yeah. And that, that all feeds back to, 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 to the mindset that we were talking about earlier, right? Because it's, it's fascinating, but what you just said, I never have that, that, that response in my head, but I've absolutely seen people have that, right? Like, you know, they'll hit some number, and obviously this applies outside of the gym, right? Essentially, you know, person X will make some achievements and they will write it off in their minds. Like, oh, that was a fluke. Like, what? You know, why, why would you, you, <laughs> why would you choose to take the negative, the negative assessments of that over the positive, you know? So yeah, I think it's, it's something that people need to work on and you need to be able to address it to, to yourself and say, yeah, I need to work on this. And, you know, I, basically, I, I really think, you know, doesn't matter who we're talking about. Um, every single individual, in my opinion, is either dedicated to their self-improvement in all the ways that, that they see fit, or they're dedicated to kind of just believing that they are perfect as the way they are when they're not really being cognizant of the fact that, you know, you're, you're not really the way you are, you know, you, you will, if you're not, if you're not, focus and diligence and improving yourself you are depreciating you are yeah. getting worse there is no there's no if if ifs hands or buts about this um so yeah it's something that i wish i could help people more with and you know i think that uh i think some of it is is on doctors and on therapists and on counselors and the way that we approach um that, so there's something in, you know, that uh, some primary care doctors are aware of called motivational interviewing. So if somebody comes in and says, hey, you know, doc, I, I really want to quit smoking, but, you know, I just, I just can't do it. Uh, more often than not, you know, the, the doctor who is well-versed in motivational interviewing will sit down and then find out, okay, you know, number one, why do you want to quit smoking? Number two, what are you know, what are your motivations? What are the things that, that drive you uh, from day to day? And essentially, we'll figure out ways to use that as leverage to help the person get over their hump, to, to give them a bigger incentive, a bigger drive, a bigger goal to stop smoking or, or whatever bad habit it is. So, you know, I definitely think that as a physician or, or counselor or therapist or whoever you are, you know, if you're in the business of talking to people and helping them get over these issues, uh, you need to become, it's like I said earlier, right? This is something that, that we need to improve ourselves uh, in terms of clinicians and you, it, that, that, that burden doesn't fall on anyone else. So, you know, if, if, if your patient is not able to get over a hump, 
you know, in my opinion, that is as much an issue on your part as it is on, on theirs, because, you know, if you're truly skilled and you, if you're good at your job, you should be able to, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, right? So find, yeah. find a way, find a way to, to help your patient get over that. Um, and if that means slowly but surely addressing their mindset, so be it. Yeah. Well, I really like that you have that perception and that, you know, you've chosen the route that you're going this whole steady MD thing and being able to actually take time with a patient. Um, I've, I've been to doctors before and let's even say chiropractors, physical therapists, and you go in and it's just, Hey, what's wrong? Well, I hurt my shoulder. All right. Feel touch, touch, massage, see you later. Come back if it still hurts. Well, no, I think we need to go a little bit deeper. And, you know, why, why do I have high cholesterol? I mean, I personally don't, but, you know, why do I have high cholesterol? Why, why is my blood pressure high? Why do I have low energy, low testosterone? You know, if you have somebody that can actually take the time and be with you, that's a game changer. Because honestly, from what I've seen, the whole healthcare industry is moving in the other direction of less time with patients, more money more pills. Mm -hmm. That's from my point of view, I, that could be wrong. No, I agree with you. I entirely agree with you. And I think, you know, that's an issue. And I think that, so I'm, I'm not somebody, um, I am not a physician who is uh, embroiled in, um, not tradition, so to speak, but kind of embroiled in uh, this as a status quo, right? So, so yeah, in my opinion, you know, some doctors who may have been doing this for 20 or 30 years in their head, they may be like, this is the way I've always done it. This is the way I'm going to continue to do it. I'm not going to invest any more time to try and find out what the true causative issue is. In my mind, you know, coming out of med school, I had always thought like, there's, this is wrong. Like you, we need to dig deeper. We need to figure out exactly why, you know, patient X has a, has a, whatever issues that they have so that we could prevent them from having to be placed on a medication. So even, you know, with the patients who, who I see now, I am huge on uh, lifestyle modification as opposed to pharmacological uh, intervention. Now this is totally like, obviously this is a physician needs to exercise good judgment, right? So, so if you come in, for example, your blood pressure is, I don't know, 190 over 80, or, no, 190 over 90. And, and, you know, I measured that on numerous occasions. So I know that it is true hypertension. It would be negligent of me to not put you on a medication. That just makes sense. Absolutely. But, but that does not mean, even if I put you on a med, that does not mean that I can't sit down with you and try and get to the bottom of things where, uh, where even though we're putting you on a medication, we could quite potentially peel it back, peel it back, taper it down, taper it down in the months to come. Um, you know, that does not mean that kind of, you know, if I, if I have a patient who comes in and their blood pressure is high, but it isn't so high that I immediately snap to judgment and put them on a medication that I can't sit down with them and, and kind of go through things and figure out, okay, you know, how about we change this in your diet? How about we start doing more of this? How about we change this in your mindset? How about kind of this stressor that is kind of going on in your life? How about we, we address it? Um, and essentially, hopefully prevents starting that patient on any medication because yeah. 
I think that too many, like most, I, I would definitely say most doctors are cognizant of this, but most patients, especially those who are in search of quote unquote, the quick fix, seem to not be cognizant of the potential detrimental side effects of medications, right? Yeah. Then, you know, let's say Norco, let's say a narcotic. Okay, doc, I have this pain that won't go away. So instead of, you know, asking your doctor to address the pain or, or, or the doctor trying to dig a little deeper, you know, you're coming in and you're asking your doctor to put you on a narcotic. Okay, so now you take this narcotic pretty persistently, it helps with your pain. Guess what? Now you have constipation. So now what? Are we going to put you on Miralax that uh, will relieve your constipation? But then, oh, hey, look, now, you know, you have, I don't know, numbness and tingling in an extremity, or you have some other side effect that, um, unbeknownst to you, is because of the Miralax and yeah. is because of the electrolyte abnormality, the electrolyte disturbance that you have from the Miralax and taking it persistently. And now you're having diarrhea. And so, so essentially we're just using one medication to cure or to, to treat the side effects of another medication, yeah. to treat the side effects of another medication. Why, why, why go down this hole? And obviously, you know, I'm bringing up pretty benign side effects, but there are, there are absolutely more uh, troubling, concerning side effects that, in my opinion, any good doctor should want to prevent their patient from ever experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, <clears throat> that the, the benefit of something like SteadyMD, like you, like you noted, is that I can spend more time with my patients, uh, listening to them, hearing out their concerns, talking with them, kind of going back and forth. Uh, on a plan, constructing a plan that, because ultimately this plan is something that they will, they will utilize and they'll work with. So in my mind, I'm like, hey, listen, we would need to construct a plan that you're okay with, that something that, uh, that I suggest and you reject, if you reject it, then I'll try and modify it, you know, to, to, to address your concerns. And, you know, hopefully we, we meet in the middle, we compromise and, if we're able to do that and you start doing this plan and we can fix some issue that you have that would have been a huge issue in the future, like let's say high blood pressure um, and prevent you from prevent you from getting on medications, you know? So yeah, I think that, I think, I think it's a huge thing uh, that I found, you know, um, a, a company like SteadyMD to work with and, and, yeah, be a little more uh, mindful about my patients and, and methodical and thoughtful. Uh, and, you know, I, I understand that the rest of healthcare isn't necessarily going that way. And it's, it's a travesty, but, um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully things turn around and, and patients become more aware of, uh, of, of potential issues. Well, I think what it's going to take is people like you, that you care and you're making a change and then podcasts like this where people are going to listen and go, oh, I need a doctor who actually listens to me and who can go through and, and, and take everything in a good direction. Um, which I guess moving on to like kind of other questions that I had, uh, I do want to get your perspective on, you know, you're in med school and you were doing Krav Maga and started into CrossFit. And now how does that all kind of play into, you know, what do you talk about with people as far as nutrition goes and, and we don't have to get super deep into working out, but you know, nutrition, lifestyle, exercise, all of that. 
Sure. So I'll try and be short um, with, with each of those. But so with nutrition, you know, I, I think the most common question that patients will ask because of the state of the United States these days, uh, what I mean by that is two thirds of individuals are either obese or over, I'm sorry, either overweight or obese. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's becoming a more prevalent problem. And with that metabolic dis, uh, metabolic disorder and with that diabetes. Uh, so, you know, I think that weight and control of weight uh, and nutrition is, is definitely a, a topic on the forefront of many patients minds and so they'll come to me and they'll they'll ask hey you know what's the best diet and you know the the way that i often answer that is that there there truly is none there truly is no best diet because the implication in saying that there is a best diet is that <clears throat> one thing one one uh perspective on a matter in this situation nutrition applies to everybody and where, where can you say, where else in life can you say that one thing applies to everybody and everybody's the same? You can't, you can't do that. So it's the same thing with nutrition, you know, when it comes to dietary changes, yes, I absolutely always encourage dietary changes, especially for those who eat a, a diet, um, you know, that is very consistent with processed foods and, and kind of junk food. But um, I still don't. I, I don't, you can't say there's one best diet. You have to be able to sit down with your patient and talk to them about kind of what they're, what kind of things that they enjoy eating, what kind of things they stay away from, you know, uh, what, what their mindset is relative to food, how they approach food um, in, in general, uh, kind of their living situation, you know, what temptations they have to face. Uh, you have to be able to sit down and, and essentially make a plan for each individual person that best suits them. Because if you don't do that, then you lose the one, the, the most powerful thing in any dietary change, and that is adherence. Yeah. If you're not able to adhere to changes that you make in the long term, you will not, you, number one, you'll not achieve your goals, and you know any progress that you have made towards your goals will likely, will will likely uh, be reversed, will likely not, not stand the, the test of time. So, um, you know, that's how I approach nutrition. How I uh, approach fitness is that, you know, each individual person should find something that works for them. So, you know, I don't have any, any kids, but I'm sure, do you have kids? Yeah, we've got yeah. three little boys. Okay, so, you know, I'm, I'm sure, Tyler, that you, you've noticed that, you know, your kids are, um, there are, uh, likely kind of instinctively drawn to one of many sports or maybe a couple different sports along um, amongst all sports and amongst all activity. So I essentially approach adults that the same way. I'm like, Hey, listen, you know, you don't have to be a runner. You don't have to be a swimmer. You don't have to go to CrossFit. You don't have to go to martial arts or Krav Maga or do Pilates. Um, uh, you don't have to do any one thing. What you need to do is be willing to experiment, is be willing to put yourself out there and uh, try, you know? In the city, um, in, in Chicago, in downtown Chicago, uh, I think they, I'm, I'm probably messing up the name, but I think they have something called Group Pass. So essentially, it is like a, a 10 ticket pass to many different activities and many different gyms. So with that, you know, 
at least in my opinion, that affords somebody the ability to try many different training classes and many different activities and find something that works for them. Because, you know, just like with nutrition, in my mind, if you could find something that works for you, if you could find something that you enjoy, you're going to keep doing that. You're going to, there, there is going to be this inherent incentive to you to keep coming back to that and to, to use it to achieve your goals and to use it to increase your fitness and to use it to become healthier. You know, I will, I'll often tell patients who come to me and they're like, Oh, you know, what's the best type of workout to do to, to lose weight, to lose fat. I, you know, I'm not, there, there was data uh, last year in 2018 that essentially came out and, and stated, you know, pretty, pretty uh, kind of in, in an incontrovertible way that, uh, we don't lose fat in the gym. Like we, we simply don't. Workouts do not cause you to, to lose any measurable amount of weight as it pertains to fat. Um, workouts instead, in my opinion, and what I tell my patients is that you lose the fat in the kitchen. You lose the fat with changing your, your, your dietary habits. You gain muscle uh, and you gain stamina and endurance and functional functional ability in in the gym so they have two different applications you know it isn't it isn't you know uh that, that you can say to yourself oh you know i ate really bad yesterday so i'm gonna work out really hard in the gym today one donut contains like 500 600 calories you got to be you know if we're talking about a run how long do you have to run to burn off that don't just one donut or or yeah. how long do you need to be in a in a CrossFit class to burn off one donut. So it, that, that's not something that's sustainable. You know, the gym should be something that you're using with other objectives in mind entirely. Yeah, I like that. I actually, I think we think uh, along the same lines on all of that. Because, sure. um, yeah, as far as nutrition goes, there's a guy named Stan Efforting. He's actually going to be on in, in a couple weeks. Uh, and he always says the compliance is the science. So you can follow his diet, which is the vertical diet, which is good. I mean, it's micronutrient dense and whole foods and all that. And sometimes keto works for people. And sometimes if it fits your macros works for people, but the compliance is what it is. Sure. You know, you got to comply to it. And then, you know, within there, there's other, there's other things you need to think about. Are we getting enough micronutrients and that sort of thing? So I like that, right? Um, I, I have heard of the vertical diet, but I had not heard of him. But, you know, I, I like that he brings up Cheetos and kind of other foods um, because I think that, you know, you need to you need to be able to structure that in. Have you ever um, have you ever heard of the Pareto principle? No. So the Pareto principle states that 20 um, percent of what you do in any venture is responsible for 80 percent of the results. OK, yeah. 80% of what you do is essentially worthless, is only responsible for 20% of results. So I think that is absolutely applicable to dietary changes too. Just because you know, you're, you're being good and you're more conscious about your eating and you're kind of uh, buckling down and, and, and eating more whole foods, the unprocessed and staying away from junk, doesn't mean that you can't have a donut every once in a while. Doesn't mean that, you know, when you're craving a candy bar, you can't, you can't have it. You know, you, you need to essentially approach things, at least in my opinion, approach things intuitively. So such that you're not 
such that you don't have a very restrictive uh, mindset with food uh, because that's not something that's sustainable in the long term. Um, and as you know, as we just brought up, the Pareto principle states that you know the 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 majority of your benefit, the majority of your gains, kind of will come from will come from those those changes that we just talked about. So you know, I don't I don't necessarily agree with with uh, telling anyone that they need to be one hundred percent you know um, on point and one hundred percent focused when it comes to nutrition at, at all times. And even with the gym, there, there are some days where I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to go to the gym today. I'm just not, no, it's not going to happen. You know, we're we're all human. We're not, we're not machines. We're not, we're, we're human beings. And, you know, we have to be able to, uh, factor in the, the kind of the ebbs and flows of, of how we feel. So. Yeah. Um, have you heard of James Fitzgerald? He won the first CrossFit games at the ranch. So he owns OPEX fitness. And uh, I did their coaches certificate program. It's like a year and a half and you go through nourishment and program design and lifestyle and, and all of that. And something that it was just, they kind of, I don't want to say they brushed over it, but something I learned a little and they didn't go super deep into it is just chewing your food. And uh, there's not one person that I have, you know, they've come to me and said, Hey, I want to lose some body fat. Okay, cool. You can eat anything you want, chew your food 25 times before you swallow every single one loses body fat because it's intuitive, right? You're eating like, Hey, I'm actually full right now. So I'm going to be done. Or if you chew a donut 25 or 30 times, it tastes terrible. You can like feel the sugar and the, the, uh, the oil like separate in your mouth. It's just, it's bad. So you don't want to eat more of it. Um, so I don't know, just something that, that popped into my mind, just intuitive eating. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's super, that's very interesting. That's almost like being more mindful of your eating, right? Because, I mean, I'm guilty of this myself, but I think so many people these days will eat in front of the TV, will oh, eat yeah. in front of their laptop, will eat in front of their phone. So essentially what you're doing is distracted eating, you know, you're just chomping away. You're not, you're not thinking to yourself 25 bites. You're thinking to yourself one, two bites, swallow, <laughs> yeah. rinse, wash, repeat, you know? So Yeah. I think, you know, there's definitely huge benefit in mindful eating and, and getting people to change their habits slowly but surely. So I was looking at, on your link tree. It, it had a link to YouTube and you talk a little, or you have some videos of intermittent fasting. Are you a fan of that? I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of that. That's what I, I personally use to this day. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I think so essentially kind of my, my biggest window of eating is eight hours. My smallest window is, uh, is four. No, actually my smallest window so far has been one hour. These days I tend to hang out at kind of a four hour window, but yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of intermittent, uh, fasting just, just because I think it fits, I, you know, to be honest, I, I feel like if you're, if you lead a very busy life, uh, intermittent fasting makes a lot of sense and it kind of relieves you of the burden of having to eat every four hours or five hours and just put something in your mouth, you know? Um, and you know, I think one of the most fascinating things that most people who do intermittent fasting come to experience themselves is a decrease in, uh, in the hormone ghrelin, um, which is, uh, responsible for a lot of our, our appetite. Um, so, yeah, I think I think intermittent fasting is applicable or can be applicable to a lot of people, and 
And, um, you know, I only began doing it last year. I, I gave it a shot after, you know, hearing a lot about it and reading a lot about it. And I think uh, essential or initially I was resistant to the idea, but I think that the, that the, thought experiment, experiment, so to speak, that got me over it was um, somebody, you know, said to me like, hey, listen, you know, think about it. The, the refrigerator was only truly invented in the 1900s. So, you know, if you, if you want to think about human beings, you know, in the Paleolithic era and, and forward until the 1900s, <clears throat> um, we did not, food was not always available for consumption. It simply wasn't especially if you think back to, you know, the beginnings of, of humanity, right? So think about it. You're, you're, you're hunting, um, I don't know, a deer. You kill the deer. You skin it, you roast the meat, um, and you eat it. There will come a time where you are full uh, and you can't eat any more of it. And obviously, I'm sure that deer is probably not completely consumed, Um so now, you know, you're in a time way before the refrigerator, way before, you know, means of, of, uh, of keeping that meat fresh. So what do you do? You leave it there. So flies, rodents consume it, and you have a full belly. Um, and essentially, you are able to survive the next couple of days until you, until you uh, hunt and, and kill another animal. So with that being said, you know, uh, one cannot simply say that, hey, listen, um, you know, human beings have always had frequent access to food because, you know, the, the, the fact that we have had and, and gone through infrequent access to food and yet you and I are sitting here in 2019 talking, that means that our ancestors survived. That means that they, they didn't perish. They, they did not, you know, they, despite going through cycles of feasting and famine and feasting and famine, they survived and they were able to, to reproduce. They were able to pass on their genes and, and, and we are here. So, you know, I think that when, when I listened to that argument and thought to myself, okay, you know, this is interesting. Yeah, you, you know, you can, you can make the argument that, you know, their mortality back then was wasn't as i'm sorry not their mortality but their um their lifespan back then wasn't as long as as ours today completely true but yeah. to, to act like that wasn't a multifaceted issue in and of itself that was due to many different many different uh you know potential uh variables is is to be kind of negligent of of the the potential of, of the truth there, which is that, you know, intermittent fasting worked for human beings at one point in time. And, you know, another argument that can be made is that everybody, everybody does intermittent fast. If you sleep for yeah. eight hours or seven or eight hours, or I don't know, even six hours, you're doing, you're, you're fasting, you're breaking your fast with breakfast, yeah, breakfast, breakfast. Yeah. right? um super early but you're essentially you're you're fasting so you know it, it's uh, like i said i was definitely resistant to the idea when i started and you know it's something that as as i noted uh in my videos it's something that i i don't encourage anybody to um 
to pursue too aggressively. I think that, you know, starting at a 10 hour eating window is good for most people. And then listening to your body and slowly but surely as you feel better and better and as you feel a lack of hunger, you can shorten that down to nine hours and 30 minutes. Yes. Shorten down to nine hours to eight hours to seven hours and then to whatever however many hours you feel fits your day best just because i choose four hours for my day obviously doesn't you know mean that that's what's what's best for you so yeah i'm a, I'm a huge fan of it so if you don't eat for 20 hours you don't lose all your gains <laughs> uh, I, hey i i haven't, <laughs> I haven't found that to be the, the truth you know i i um yeah i what? So these days, so my maximum snatch is 255 pounds. My max clean and jerk is um, just over 315. I haven't tested it in a while, but um, you know, I squat 450 pounds, I deadlift 520, um, I bench press over 300. Like, and like I said, I've been doing this for a year and a half, two years, and I'm still PRing, right? I'm still like adding numbers. So, you know, I think that I, I think that when it comes to how this and, and other nutritional approaches affect the human body, we need to be very willing to, number one, understand that not only do we not know it all, we will never know it all. None of us are God. We, we can't, I don't care how much direct application of the scientific method we you know, endeavor to, to, uh, to, to perform as human beings, we, we, need to be, we need to be aware that there, there's a good chance that we'll never know it all. But, but yeah, as, as much as the application of the scientific method can reveal certain truths that were um, unknown before, for example, with intermittent fasting or with other, I don't know, with, with other approaches to, to dietary changes, then, then so be it. But, um, you know, I think that ultimately people need to be very, very willing to experiment with themselves. You need to be open to the potential that you don't know it all, uh, but that you are uh, willing to try, that you are willing to put yourself out there and um, experiment and see what, what works for you. Like, I guarantee you, you know, if I tried intermittent fasting and I was super weak or had a headache all day or was dizzy, guess what? I, I would have stopped it, but it works well for me. And I'm sure that there are people whom it does not work well for. Yeah. Um, and you should not do it if that's the case. And you should find what works well for you. But, you know, to assume that any one person knows the best, you know, the best diet period and they can, they can tell you the... <laughs> The, uh, the, the little nugget of gold that you're missing is to completely disregard your individuality. Yeah. Out of curiosity, do you ever train in a fasted state? Every single day. Every day. Cool. Yep. For the last year and a half, two years, yep. every, every, I went to the gym this morning. Uh, the, the workout was like 15 minutes to establish a maximum snatch for the day. And then the, the wad, the Metcon was uh, three rounds of 10 snatches at 115 pounds and 15 box jump overs uh, for three rounds. And I did both of them fasted and my snatch was 245 pounds today and my maximum is 255, so 10 pounds under. 
And, you know, my time in the workout was 354, I believe. So yeah, essentially, I think that's my, that's my biggest issue, right? With intermittent fasting and when people question me on it and they don't understand, like, how am I still able to perform at the gym? And, you know, I think that the, uh, the fault, the, 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 the crux of that question, if you kind of step back and look at it, is this presumption of knowing the human body with 100% certainty, right? So like, wait, how are you able to do that? Essentially implies that that person truly feels that they know everything about the body. Like, like you know, hey, you should not be able to lift that heavy of weight without having a banana before, you know, without having whatever food. Yeah. And then somebody does that, it blows their mind. And, 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 and you know, um, if that person is able to reflect, if, if they're an individual who's able to look back and, and actually consider their thoughts, hopefully that gets them to the point of realizing, damn, I, I don't know. I don't know as much as I thought I knew. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't something that, you know, anybody will know for sure, but you know, it seems to be working for Nick. So, you know, why shouldn't I give it a, at least a chance? Yeah. It may not sit well with my body. It may be amazing. You're never going to know until you try it. You have to be willing. You know, I truly believe in the power of kind of N equals one experiments, you know, where the sample size, it's just you. Yeah. You know, the, uh, genetic polymorphisms. Uh, uh, so essentially what that means is that the variance in, in uh, so you probably heard that 99% of our DNA as human beings, we're, we're, we're mostly identical from a genetic standpoint yeah. but you know there are subtle differences in everybody where you know you being lactose intolerant you know you may not be you, you you may not have the gut enzymes to be able to digest lactose and i do does that mean that you know you have to get up on a on you know uh, you, you have to you have to get on a megaphone and then be yelling out to everybody you know hey you know stop stop drinking milk, stop eating cheese. Like, no, you need to be able to understand that what works for you may not work for everybody. And that the only way that somebody else can know that is by being willing to experiment and try things and then listening to their body and making the changes as needed. Yeah. I'm a big data nut. I just love, I noticed you're wearing a whoop. Um, I also have a, a, a blood glucose tracker. So all day long, I know exactly what's going on. And you know, I've done really hard workouts yeah. well in ketosis, yet yeah. all of a sudden my blood sugar goes up to, you know, 120. Like, well, how does that happen? Well, your, gly yeah. your liver has glycogen, yes, you know, yep. so can, can you dig deep? Well, we all have ATP, you know, we, we have liver, liver glycogen. So I totally agree with you. Just people yeah. can kind of figure out what, what works for them and yeah, I didn't mention that earlier because I'm not trying to get too nerdy. But yeah, that's how people in the Paleolithic era who were essentially doing intermittent fasting by force, that's how, that's how we survived. We, you know, we survived because our bodies are smarter than we will ever truly understand. And you know, our ability to render sugar, to, to, to uh, you know, have gluconeogenesis take place and have our brains fed and, and the you know, parts of our body that are uh, obligate, you know, glucose metabolizers fed, um, 
those things are there. You just have to, you just have to kind of, you know, stop. A lot of people I, I find will really over question things and really, it's all goes back to that mindset, really just start doubting things. And, you know, even though they don't necessarily have a full understanding of what's going on, they presume they do. And I think that's a very dangerous mindset because when, you know, when you have doctors like me or you have scientists who you talk to and they will tell you, listen, we don't know it all. Like, listen, we don't, like, we don't, there are some things we don't know the answer to. So, you know, you have certain members of society who by anyone's metric should know the answers to these things, but they don't know them. So then how are you going to assume that you know better than them and that you know everything? That doesn't make any sense to me. That doesn't, like, you, you have to be okay with understanding that you don't know everything and, and that self-experimentation is absolutely key. Yeah. Well, I 100% understand that I don't know everything. That's why I like talking to people like you, because if we can just start piecing it all together, you know, if I can learn from people that are super knowledgeable like you or talk with, you know, a CrossFit Games athlete and try to pull in from their mindset or read a book or a podcast or whatever, you know, I feel like I can start piecing it together in my mind. But even then it changes. You know, I, I, honestly, probably five years ago, I would have said, eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, and just say, that's it. That's what we do. Well, then you learn, hey, it might be okay to have some carbohydrates during a workout, and it, it's okay to have a donut every once in a while. And yeah, it's just good stuff, man. I, I really like how you think. Yeah, appreciate it. It's taken, it's taken a while to get here, but like I said earlier, you know, I don't think I'm, I'm going to stay here forever. Like I, uh, I'm just the type of person I always want to improve, whether it's mindset, you know, ability to treat my patients, you know, um, ability in the gym, I don't care. So yeah, but no, I, I genuinely appreciate that. And I'm, as you mentioned earlier, I think that's another huge thing, right? Like you're right. I, I love tracking things, right? I'm a data person, you know, numbers, numbers, numbers. And I don't think everybody needs to be a data person, but you need to be able to find some mechanism of feedback. Yes. Yeah. Some mechanism that you can use to assess yourself, whether it's how you feel about yourself, um, uh, kind of in terms of, you know, do you feel sick from trying something new in your diet or whatever? It doesn't matter. You need to find some mechanism of assessing yourself and use that to, to uh, change whatever you want to change and then reassess and then figure out where you go from there. So, you know, me and you, obviously, we like numbers, um, but, you know, everybody isn't necessarily that way. So I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they've got it. Like you said earlier, measurable, observable, and repeatable. You know, if, if you're sleeping five hours a night and you're just not getting healthier, maybe that means you need six, seven. Um, so just figuring that out. Uh, I actually have so many more questions that I want to ask you, but I don't want to take away your time. So many things popped into my head, like sleep. I wanted to kind of touch on that. Um, cause you mentioned ghrelin and I'm a firefighter, so I'm up terrible, times of the night and circadian rhythm disturbance and all that and so many other things but you know maybe we can do this again and, and kind of jump sure. in all that but it's been it's been an hour and i definitely don't want to take your time sure but, yeah you know, I, would, I would love to love to come back let's uh let's you know we'll, we we obviously you know have a method of communication so we'll we'll keep in touch and and i would i would uh definitely appreciate coming back uh and, and talking to you more and finding out your perspective too because i feel like you know, anyone in your position has a very unique perspective. And, and, you know, I don't think that enough gym owners and enough 
CrossFit coaches truly understand the position that they are in in this society, right? Where, like I said earlier, things like metabolic disorder, things like uh, or being overweight and obesity are becoming more and more prevalent. And, you know, you have literally, Greg Glassman has essentially assembled just a, uh, a massive force of, of individuals who are combating this every single day on an individual pay, uh, basis uh, with, with people. So, you know, I think the, the potential there, and I've said this before to people, I think that the potential for coaches to positively impact people's health is much more prevalent, much more dominant uh, than any doctor can, can be. I mean, you know, let's talk about, I don't know the size of your gym, but you know, I was, I, my old gym CrossFit Grandview would see four, 500 people come in every single day. Those are four or 500 people who, you know, uh, are becoming a little bit better than they were the, the day before. No doctor can see four or 500 people a day. That's not going to happen. So, you know, I think that people like you, coaches, gym owners are, are instrumental in kind of fixing the mess that, that we are in from a healthcare standpoint in, in this society. Oh, well, I appreciate that. And I'll, uh, you know, I'll take that and just continue to try to learn and, you know, put as much of that out to the community as we can, because that's, that's all we can do is just, you know, Absolutely. get as much information as we can and try to transmit that to people. Sure. So how, how can people find you? Because honestly, your, your content is solid. I love it. Sure. So, um, yeah, my, uh, my Instagram is the fittest doc. Uh, I, um, will start working, uh, and seeing patients with steady MD in about a week here. So, you know, if you just go to, uh, www.steadymd.com, um, uh, and search for me, uh, under the, I believe, uh, it's the missions and team button, but you, you can find me on that, on that page. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I see patients in, in Denver, Colorado too. So if you are in that area, you live in that area and, you know, you're looking for a new physician, I, uh, am absolutely able to see you. So just reach out and we will, uh, make something happen. That's awesome. Well, Hey, I appreciate your time. I'll throw all of that in the show notes so that people can just quickly hop over to you. And uh, Nick, I really appreciate your time. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure talking to you, Tyler. Yeah, have a good day. You too. Bye-bye.